Sunsets from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. Amen, amen, amen. So today I will be sharing and um, I'll be sharing from Matthew 13, verse 45, 44 and 45. It's, it's the parable, it's called the twin parable, the hidden treasure and the fine pearl. And so let's just put the scripture on and I'll just be sharing my thoughts from that parable. And so Jesus would always speak in parables when he would speak to his disciples. And um, a lot of times he used these parables to explain certain things and certain ideologies and certain things he wanted us to understand about the kingdom. And a lot of these parables had what I would say metaphors in them. And so Jesus would always compare certain things because he wanted you to understand things in the way, I mean, you can see things or perceive things. And so he would have a direct and an indirect metaphor. And so a direct metaphor would be when Jesus would say something like, you are the salt of the earth. And when he was saying you are the salt of the earth, that means that we all know that salt gives flavor, right? And so Jesus was making you understand that you're meant to give flavor to the earth. And so, but this was an indirect metaphor because it was in a sentence, Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of heaven. And the, I believe that the objective of why Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of heaven in this way, in this scripture as we read, was because he wanted to challenge our perception and our view and how we perceive things. Because why? When our when we perceive things in a certain way, then it changes the course of our action and it determines how we do life. And so in this scripture, Jesus is saying, Matthew 13, it's a twin parable. So we can put the other scripture, 40, 44 and 45. And Jesus is saying, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he hid it. And the man was so excited when he found this treasure. And the cause of his action was that this man goes away, sells everything he had, everything he, he owned, he, and he comes to purchase this treasure. And I'm like, okay. Why, what is this treasure this man found? And that's what Jesus was comparing the kingdom of heaven. That would provoke him, that would compel him excitedly, with joy, to go and sell everything he had to come and purchase this treasure. And I put myself, and I look at it and I put myself in, this, in the equation of this. And I'm like, do I know that the kingdom of heaven is treasure? Yes. Have I experienced the goodness of God many times? Yes. Have I experienced the love of God? Yes. I believe the kingdom of God is important. But I cannot say and I'm not sure that that realization is like where I would 
go and sell everything I have. Maybe because I realize, maybe because certain things too I consider perhaps as important, perhaps at par with this kingdom of God that is, Jesus was saying, is treasure. So it could be my career, it could be things I want to do, my ambition, what I want to be, sort of competes with the importance of the kingdom of God. But what Jesus was saying that this man found a treasure, and this man, this treasure that this man found was of incomparable value, that he would go back and sell everything he once held dear, everything he possessed, everything he had. That means his perception, something had happened, whatever he had found was of a superior value to this man. And that provoked him to go back to sell everything he once held as dear, as important, became not important anymore to what this man has found as treasure. And the interesting thing about what this man did was he was excited. He went about it in joy at this treasure he had found. And that brings me to my first thought. And the first thought is that we all joyfully pursue what we consider as treasure. We joyfully pursue it. That's the first thought. I tell you a story. I had a boss. She's a former boss. She resigned last year. And so when I joined the place where I work currently, pretty much about six, seven years ago, we became very close. She took into me because later on she would tell me that she liked, you know, how I worked and I was just focused on my work. And, you know, I wasn't really involved in the whole office politics and gossip that used to go on in the office. And so we became very, very close. And this woman would begin to share some of her personal struggles with me. And one of the things she shared to me, which was then three years ago, which was she had been looking for a child for nine years. And so this had become such a burden to her, such that she really felt very incomplete. And she would tell me that she stopped socializing, she stopped going out to gatherings because she felt less of a woman when she was like sitting down in, in the gathering of women because this was everything to her, having a child. And so we began to pray concerning this situation. And so three years before now, she started an IVF treatment. And so she would always open up to me and tell me, this is the journey. I'm very excited and she'll tell me, we started the IVF treatment, pray along with me. And then she would talk about it and laugh about it, about the money she, they were spending. Her husband was always joking about it, like, ah, this is like a project to, you know, the money we're using that could have been used to maybe buy a house or something. It's, you know, she's telling me the cost. The first one she spent about four million. So all of her monies were, was going into this, this dream or just baby she wanted. And so the first one failed. And she told me about it, the second one failed. And so the third one worked. 
And so she called me up and saying, oh, you know, she's finally pregnant and very excited. And we were, it was just so much joy. We were so excited about what had happened. And I think along, two months along the line, she lost the baby. And she had a miscarriage. It was so painful because she almost lost her life in, in that she was bleeding so much, and she, she, she told me when she came back to work, and she was telling me that her husband was weeping, like, I, can't, I mean, rather than lose you, let's, you know, let's stop this dream and everything, let's stop this, I don't want to lose you, I can't do life without you, and, and, and so they were not going to, you know, maybe pursue this anymore, I don't, I don't know. But four months after that, she came to me again, she says, they found another option, which was not through the IVF, but through the surrogacy option. And she was so excited that she found this, second, this other option and, and they decided to pursue it. And obviously this surrogacy option, because she was telling me all the details, was so expensive. It was way more even expensive than the IVF. It was costing them over pretty much about close to 10 millionaire to go through the procedure because you know the surrogacy option, we have different options of if you want the surrogate to best care, so that all that thing increases the cost, but obviously they chose the best care for their surrogacy because this is something they wanted and so important and it was such a treasure for them to have it. And then, this was last year. So she started the journey three years ago and this was last year and she was so excited and she come and tell me, you know, the, the surrogacy is the baby, they'll send her pictures because she, she, you're not meant to um, know whoever, but they'll send her pictures, the baby's growing and all of that. And towards the end of last year, she resigned. She resigned from her office, from the office where we worked. This was pretty much about September. And, and she was excited, resigning because this was the cost now of action she wanted to follow and pursue the family life. And it was, a, it was a dream for her. So this is someone that really likes work. And we used to work together. She used to bury herself in work. She never used to give us public holidays. And so she resigned and left the work to go and focus on the baby and the family. And I remember towards December, Christmas period, she calls me because then we were not in contact every day and she says, you know, my baby is here. I have my baby now and it was so much joy and we were so excited. And I go visit her first week in January and I sit down with her and carrying her baby. And I could see the joy in the house. It was so much joy, she was so happy. And she said to me, and I was just teasing her, like, we miss you. Don't you miss us at work? She was like, she doesn't miss us one bit. <laughs> this for her was everything. And the joy she said to me was incomparable. It was so incomparable to every other thing, to the hustle, to work, to the money. And she said to me, that, I mean, I understand that I'm not working currently, you know, and I'm not earning as any, any salary, but the joy I have holding my baby cannot even be compared to anything. And that's what she said to me. 
This is an incomparable feeling for her. And everything was worth it. Everything she, at the time, probably saw as a cost or saw as a sacrifice. Just having that baby was now so worth it for her. And so that's why I said, we all pursue joyfully what we treasure. We all joyfully pursue what we treasure. And that's what this man found. That's what this man found. And that's what Jesus was saying about the kingdom of heaven. Do we realize that this is treasure? And this man found it and hid it. And everything else was not as important anymore to this man. Everything else he once held dear. Everything else he once considered as important and he owned was incomparable to this treasure this man found. This new reality he found. I don't know what it was. I, maybe it was freedom. Maybe it was truth. But whatever he found as the kingdom of heaven became of superior value. Superior value to everything else and that's what Jesus was bringing out about the kingdom of heaven and how we perceive things and why would Jesus explain the kingdom of heaven as such as that treasure of incomparable value to this man incomparable value to this man it, it's not what what I understand is that for this man whatever he found it wasn't even it was way higher. So comparable value would be, you know, perhaps, you know, you take your career, you take your marriage and be like, okay, maybe I focus on family life now or focus on my career. So the two are like at par. But what Jesus was trying to say for this man, everything else he had was off. You can't compare to the treasure he found in the kingdom of heaven. It was of incomparable value. And so why would Jesus explain the scripture this way? Because Jesus understood that what we consider as important, we prioritize. We prioritize. That's the second thought. We prioritize what we consider as important. We prioritize that. And so recently... I have been dealing with personally struggle of exhaustion. And I'd had like two episodes of real breakdown. And I remember December 31st was like one of a breaking point for me. And I, I just was so tired, so exhausted. And I was saying to myself, if 2023 would be like 2022, like, I was just in so much pressure and I was so much overwhelmed. And then I didn't know what to do. I was breaking and I was crying profusely. It was a crossover day and I called, um, thank God for family. I called, I didn't want to call Pastor Mo at the time because I know he was preparing for crossover service. And so I called Pastor Fred and obviously he rushed down and prayed with me and strengthened me. I felt revived. 
And two days after I called Pimo and, you know, we spoke and we had counseling and all of that. And so I was thinking, okay, maybe this pressure was about stress. You know, I'm running a business, I work. Running a business in Nigeria is so stressful. One issue or the other will come up. Like unforeseen stuff comes up and you have to solve and challenge and do all of that. And so I was speaking to God, like, do I need to cut down? I mean, what is this about? I'm really exhausted. And then we went through counseling and I got revived again. And then towards March, I reached another breaking point. And this time around, I was like, this was beyond just stress. I began to just lose so much interest in all the things I felt like I wanted to achieve and be. I was just losing interest in everything. I was scared. I was like, okay, what is this about, Lord? Do I shut down everything? I'm ready. Do I shut it down? I just need to stop feeling this way and overwhelmed and exhausted. And it was a journey because the Lord just wouldn't say what I needed to do at that point in time. I'm like, God, are you not interested in curing my exhaustion? And so recently, the Lord began to speak to me. And he said to me, I don't want you to shut down anything. I want you to come to that realization first in your heart that I am your most prized possession. I am your most prized possession. I am enough for you. So you don't need to add or be anything. And you should do life from that perspective that when you have me, you've hit the jackpot. You've hit the jackpot already. You've hit the jackpot. You don't need to be or this business needs to succeed. Yes, because you know if it succeeds, I'm going to bring glory to God. Mm -mm. Yes, God wants it to succeed. But you should do life daily. I am your joy. I am your exceeding and great reward. That's what Jesus, that's what the Bible says when he was speaking to, to Abraham. I am your exceeding reward. What are you looking for? I am your everything. And so he's saying you need to prioritize me. I just need your attention and your full attention. That's what this season is about for you. So you're no longer in a space where moods, everything determines your mood swing. Today, if things don't go as planned, you're sad, you're broken. Jesus is saying, <laughs> I am your joy. When you have me, you should rejoice every day. Every single day. You should have that perspective. 
And so you're no longer dictated by, oh, this didn't go well, this didn't go right. Your life is just so like broken. You should come to that place of understanding of who I am. And I am more than enough for you. And that was the healing process for me that I just stopped feeling that pressure. It just became so simpler. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I have him. I'm already a success. I'm already a success. I'm already a success. I'm already successful by having him. And the words he says, you've already hit a jackpot. Literally, you've hit a jackpot. And so it's important. I believe that God wants us to understand the treasure we have in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. And so that we begin to prioritize what is important. We begin to prioritize what is important in the scheme of things. I remember doing the fast, we're just talking about digging deep. It's still a journey. And one of those days I go to the fast and I was in the prayer meeting, I was having calls up and down. This is wrong, this is wrong. And so I would go answer and come back. I did that like two times. And then the second time when I was going back in, I was like, okay, God, Holy Spirit, shut down this distraction. I don't want to pick up this call. I want to focus. I want to dig deep. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit says, if I told you right now that where you are, he used that example, maybe because I grew up, I have a, a, lots of family in the oil industry. And so if I tell you that where you are standing, there's an oil block there. There's an oil block where you're standing. You will, and that whoever digs the oil blocks first and gets it first, owns the oil block. And he says to me, you will throw your phone. <laughs> so all this way you're saying, Father, let this, this Holy Spirit, I'm giving it back to you to take control because if the call comes again, you probably go outside and be like, the Holy Spirit, I told you to take control now. So I put it back to him. But he's like, if I told you that there was an oil block where you're standing and you needed to dig, exhaustion will flee. Sleep will flee. Even if they told you you have to dig for the next three days. You will be digging. <laughs> what an oil block. I'm going to own an oil block. This will change the course of my destiny for life. Five years to come. My generation will be free. And so that is how Jesus pictures the treasure that we have when he tells us dig deep. And sometimes we are like, dig deep, yeah, dig deep. What does that really mean? Dig deep, there are treasures. And Jesus was relating it to an oil block. If I told you you were standing here, you will drop that phone. You won't even tell me. You will even fling it. What? This in comparison to what I'm going to get? No, no. <sighs> and so it's very... 
And that's how Jesus values and pictures the kingdom of heaven when he was trying to relate it to us. You know? And that would help us begin to focus on what is important and begin to build treasures towards that kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus, why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is treasure. You know? And so Jesus was challenging our perception and our view of the things we kind of put at par and we hold so dearly and we count as so important in the scheme of things is incomparable to the kingdom of heaven. This is of superior value, way superior value. And it would help us prioritize what is important. While I was reading about this, I came across an example I would like to share. It was about a popular businessman who was very successful. And so his business began to go down. And so a man of God went to his city to preach. And so after the man of God preached, he decided to invite this man of God to his house to pray for him, pray for his business and all of it. And the man of God prayed for him. And he decided to sow a seed as an act of faith for his business. And so he came and wrote a check, a $1,000 check. Just as he wrote that check, he got a phone call. And when he got the phone call, I mean, his facial expression was just changed. And he was just like perplexed and he was just quiet. And the man of God was just looking at him. And then for a minute or two, he took the check and he wrote another figure, $10,000. And so obviously I would be, I'm thinking, oh, he, he, he's, something has happened and he's trying to even trust God more. And the man of God asked him, why did you do this? Why did you take your, what's going on? And he said to the man of God, as I wrote this check, um, I got a phone call from my factory that everything is being burnt down, literally. And then the Spirit of God ministered to him and said to him, you need, that's why you need to build your treasures in things that cannot burn down, in things that cannot rot in things that fire cannot destroy. And so he said to himself, I'm giving everything to the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is where things cannot be destroyed, where things cannot burn down with fire. That's what the Bible says. My kingdom cannot be destroyed. It cannot be shaken. Everything else will fail. Everything else can fail. And that's why we need to invest and put our investments in this treasure, the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of heaven. And then this parable helps us prioritize what is important. Can we have the parable again? Sorry. Verse 45. And the third thing I would like to share is that he says, again, the kingdom heaven is like, it's not complete, sorry. It's like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. It's not complete. Verse 46.
And so this merchant is seeking beautiful pearls. And he comes to a field in this story and he finds this beautiful, he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Another thing I'd like to say is that in the kingdom of heaven is about a laying down principle. A laying down principle. In the both parables, they all lay down everything. But I believe that this second parable was talking about Jesus. Jesus being the merchant, coming down to the field and looking for each and every one of us as the fine pearl. And having us cursed Jesus, everything. And that's what Jesus was trying to explain about the kingdom of heaven, being a laying down principle where you lay down everything. To have us as his bride, him being the bridegroom, it cost him everything, his own precious blood. It cost him that. It cost him his royalty coming down in humiliation to the natural realm. It cost him a debt that was so humiliating. Isaiah says he was disfigured, disfigured. And crucifixion, crucifixion is one of the worst deaths. It's for criminals. Jesus did all that because of you as fine pearls. Because he wanted to have each and every one of us, his church. And so that's why redemption is so important in the kingdom of heaven. It's so important in the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says that heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to God. Because at each time a sinner comes to God, the blood of Jesus is not in vain. The blood of Jesus is not in vain. And that's why he prioritizes redemption so much. Because it cost him his precious blood to have each and every one of us. Imagine my boss didn't have that joy she had. Do you know the agony and the pain she will still be in? And that's how heaven is agonizing also for as many who have not yet come to salvation. Heaven agonizes in pain because then it looks like the blood of Jesus was in vain. But at each point in time, any one of us come, heaven rejoices. That is when heaven throws a party. So heaven prioritizes redemption. It is so important in the scheme of things in heaven. That's where the whole angels stand because each time they're rejoicing that the blood of their master was not in vain. And that's the prodigal story as well. If we look at the prodigal story, if we can open the scripture of the prodigal story. Luke 15.
Luke 15 verse 11. And Jesus was trying to show us the importance of redemption also with the prodigal story. He says, then he said, a certain man had two sons. Basically, let's summarize the story. A certain man had two sons and one of them decides to ask for his inheritance and goes away, squanders his inheritance and realizes you know, what he had lost and what he had in his father's house and decides to come back. The, father's, the, the scripture says, the father saw him from afar and threw a, began to throw a party from afar. He began to throw a party that his son is coming back to, to him. And that was the priority Jesus placed on the lost, on everyone without him. And the church also ought to place that priority on redemption, on the lost. And so it's a laying down principle. In both parables, both men lay down everything they had, everything they once considered as important and dear, they laid it down for this treasure. Jesus laid down his life to have us as fine pearl, his fine pearl. And so what are we holding on to? What are we holding on to as so important? Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is it's a treasure of incomparable value. And all the disciples, the disciples are something that their radicality used to always get me so intrigued. So intrigued. And then growing up, I, I used to say, oh, Jesus, I love you and everything. But when it came to like life itself, I don't know. I just was so traumatized about pain. It was so bad that, you know, growing up, I, if they killed the chicken and I saw the chicken cry, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't eat it because I'm like, oh, the chicken went through trauma. The chicken went through trauma. And then I'll be looking at my siblings devouring this chicken. I'm like, God, you guys are heartless. And they'll be like, you don't know what you're missing. Please bring your chicken, bring your chicken, let's eat. And so I just didn't like pain. I just didn't like seeing Trump people in pain. It was just something I just... And so those parts of the scripture where the disciples gave their life, I used to ask myself a question like, ha, give my life. Like, imagine these disciples, what they suffered. Give my life, God. And then I would start to negotiate with God. Like, okay, maybe if you make it less painful, because I'm not sure <laughs> I can, <laughs> you know, go through that and there was a day one time growing up i watched one of all this persecution story and in the persecution story all these um rapture stories and one of the stories they came to some two men were there and they came to one of them and said deny jesus or we'll behead you now and so one of them and so the first one did not deny jesus and they beheaded him and so the second one in, in fear and trauma obviously denied Jesus. And they still beheaded him. Hmm. And so I wonder, I went to the Lord and I said, ah, okay, I think I, I will not deny you because I can't trust 
if they, if he came to that, I can't trust that I will still not be beheaded, you know. And so I was so intrigued at what compelled these disciples, compelled them that even life was nothing. What did they experience? What kind of encounter of heaven, of the realm of the glory of God, that even pain was inconsequential to this glory? And the Holy Spirit began to be and said that there's a realm you work in. There's a realm of glory that you behold. That even pain, it's inconsequential. For the joy and for the glory, Jesus endured the cross. And I'd like us to look at Stephen, when I, for the, the example of that realm. Acts chapter 7. That's one of the stories that intrigued me so much. About Stephen. Acts 7 verse 54. Stephen was a man full of the spirit. Stephen was a man full of God. And Stephen triggered something. And he was going to be stoned to death. And the Bible says that Stephen got caught up in a ram. He looked up into heaven and he saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus. And when he saw that glory, when he saw Jesus, his surroundings and whatever that experience was, could not compare to the glory that he was working into, to the glory that he saw and the glory that he witnessed as he looked up into heaven, that he willingly gave up himself and said, Father, take my spirit. And there's something else he did, Stephen did. He said, Father, forgive them. What will make a man in the midst of you being stoned to death Say, Father, forgive them. I'm even pitying them. Because they don't know what I am going into. They don't know what I am working into. And that's why he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. The realm of glory that I witnessed. Oh my goodness. I don't even want to be in this natural realm anymore. And he knelt down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Because even pain at that moment was nothing. Not that he wasn't going to feel the pain, but I'm just saying his eyes was caught up in another realm of glory. That even pain did not mean anything to him. And so that's the Holy Spirit saying that there's a realm you work into. You get captivated by that realm, by the beauty and the glory of that realm. Hmm. That nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Because in a, in a normal day, if we look at it in a normal equation, a man of God, 
being stoned to death. Even me there would begin to say, Father, these people that have done this thing, for may they face the consequences. You know, seven years, you know, we begin to cause, we begin to build judgment. But Stephen was caught up in a realm that <clears throat> he felt pity for the people, for they didn't know what they were doing because he, he was good. He was good. He was good. He was working into glory. He was working into eternity. He was good. And that's why some of us, we, we, we envy the wicked. Sometimes we envy even the wicked. We think that they are good. And we have to come to the realization of how heaven sees the wicked with pity, with pity, with pity, so much pity. And so we won't join the bandwagon. I remember doing the whole election. I was so pained and so angry. At one time I wanted to start, you know, praying judgment. Oh, Father, these people that have done this. The Holy Spirit was just like... <laughs> He just don't know that they are already not good. They are already not good. And you are good that you have me. They are already not good. They are already not good. So there's no need, Seth, to be praying all the whole judgment prayers. And so I pray that we come into that realization that we have hit the jackpot. We've hit the jackpot with the kingdom of heaven. I pray that our eyes are opened into that realm of glory and that each and every one of us would work in that realm of glory and that we will prioritize this treasure that we have. That we will do life from that perspective that we are good, we are already success by having Christ. Oh, Father Lord, that's my prayer this morning that our eyes be opened. That our eyes be open, that we will desire, we will work into realms of glory, and that we will realize what a treasure, what a treasure of incomparable value, what a treasure of superior value that we have. Nothing else is incomparable to the kingdom of heaven. And the glory we have. And in the, in the scheme of things, you know, I grew up in um, my parents' church. There's this Apostle Numbere was, um, was the general overseer then. And then I remember he, um, part of his story, or part of his biography was that he left um, university at 
the first year. He was very intelligent. He was studying geology. And he left university to pursue the call of God upon his life. And then, you know, you'll be just be hearing this kind of stories. Ah, this man, wow, what a cost, you know, what a cost that was. I'm not saying it wasn't a cost. But do you know, with this story, I realized that that man gained everything. He didn't lose nothing. He gained everything. That's the kingdom of God. It's, 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 it's not even a cost. A cost is when you compare two things and at par. He gained everything pursuing the kingdom of God. He gained it all. And that's my message this morning. That we prioritize and we know the value of the kingdom of heaven and what we have. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org.